Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Big show this week, as you can understand, as the Cincinnati Bearcats head to Orlando to take on the UCF Knights on game day, primetime, 8 p.m., ABC. Biggest game for the program since Pitt 2009. And I guess you could say the Sugar Bowl, but that didn't go as planned. So we'll stick with Pitt 2009 because that was a win. (laughs) But if you're not going to Orlando, make sure you're at Taft's Brewporium. I'll be there. Dave might be there. Probably won't be there because he doesn't like to watch games in public. And and the last time he did, they lost. So I'm guessing Dave won't be there, but I will be there. The Bearcat Journal crew will be there. It will be a blast. Eight o'clock kickoff at Taft's Brewporium, and uh, bring your appetite, get some pizza, maybe get there a little early, get you a nice pie, have a few cold beverages to uh, wet the palate, and then 8 o'clock kick off the Bearcats taking on the Knights on ABC. We have a big, big show for you this week. As we are going to be joined by Stephen Godfrey, Godfrey, We have a big show this week as we are going to be joined by Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation. He has been a big proponent of the Bearcats and the AAC of late. And uh, hopefully we'll get him on here in just a minute uh, to talk about the game. Dave, welcome in. And uh, it's a big week for the Bearcats this week. It is. It's a huge week. I I don't think if we had pulled our fan base in, say, August and said, what do you think will be going on the third weekend in November with you seeing the UCF game? Not, not sure anybody would have said uh, ABC eight o'clock with game day heading to Orlando. So yeah, it's a, it's a big week and, and a big, big spot for the Bearcats to try to make some noise with what I'm going to guess is a lot of people watching. With that said, we are joined by Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation. And Dave, I'm handing it over to you. Take it away. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Stephen, thanks again for joining us tonight. And for some of our fans that might not know, you've actually written quite a few pieces on UC football over the last several years. Uh, There's one on the last Keg and Nails game with Louisville. You were kind of embedded with Coach Tuberville when they went and played at Ohio State the last time. So what is it that you find kind of most interesting about UC football from someone that you know isn't around the program on a day-to-day basis but has probably from a national perspective you know, written about the team quite a bit and been to Nippert Stadium and, and kind of seen where UC football has gone from where it was to probably say in the last 10 years or so once they got into the Big East? Well, I think they're insanely ahead of schedule right now. I mean, that's the one thing that strikes me the most because a lot of what Coach Fickle wanted to do and a lot of what needed to be done uh, after Tuberville was let go was pretty substantial. And um, I really honestly, from a national media perspective, a lot of people did this over the summer, just kind of looked at Cincinnati and said, all right, well, They'll be better. 
Um, they should make improvements. Fickle's doing a great job in recruiting. He really understands Ohio in a way in which I don't know any other UC coach really. I mean, he, he may be the best recruiter UC has seen in the modern era. But we didn't expect any of that to translate into 2018, and we certainly didn't expect them to win as many games as they already have. And so a lot of this just sort of took us by storm. Um, you know, I know a lot of people noticed, obviously, after they beat UCLA, but to me it's way more impressive the way that they've gone through conference play thus far because this is a team that's resilient, it's aggressive, they know how to score points. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie, we didn't see this coming. You kind of answered one of my for future questions, so I'll kind of go back to when Coach Fickle was hired. I know you and some other guys that you work with are pretty tied into coaching searches, and when they did hire him, what was your kind of initial reaction to him getting the job and, and where you thought he might work, where maybe you thought there might be some growing pains and just kind of the overall feel of when he was brought on two years ago? I thought it was a fantastic hire at the time, um, and it showed a commitment to, I think, a longer-term build and not, you know, let me back up and say that UC has had an unbelievable streak throughout the years of identifying rising talent and coaching. Now, their ability to keep them is tough because of the situation that they've been handed, but, um, you know, just Brian Kelly, D'Antonio, really everyone other than Tuberville, and I, I, I would maybe slightly defend the Tuberville hire at the time because... He was a great coach who was in a bad situation at Texas Tech, but Cincinnati makes great hires flat out, and Fickle was no exception. Um, I went up after he was hired, uh, before he had coached games last uh, a year and a half ago. It was April, and they were playing. They were doing spring practice. It was at one of the local high schools, and I want to say it was maybe Moeller. Um, it's one of the cat, the big Catholic schools in Cincinnati, which I know is elder redundant. Cause it was, yeah. Elder. That's right. Yes. Um, I remember this. it is a very small stadium. It was in the city and it's one of those that was apparently voted by USA today as like the place to see a game, a high school football game. So is that elder? Yeah. That, yeah. That would be elder. The pit. the pit. Yes, exactly. What struck me that day was two things. How bad that roster was. And the, and the shape in which that it was it was in, which happens to AAC teams in transition, and also Fickle's ability to—I don't want to use the word "work" as a verb because it has a negative connotation, like you're scamming someone. But his ability to network and his ability to reach out and his ability to communicate with every person there—it um, was an, it was a very open kind of very informal practice. It reminded me of high school. And I, you know, my first year as a sports writer full time, I covered junior colleges and it kind of reminded me of that vibe of a real community aspect. And so it's absolutely no surprise to me that they had the best signing class in the conference last year. And, and what he's done in Ohio, is just, it's remarkable. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard for Cincinnati to keep these guys because they're so good at identifying the talent that they actually overachieve and it hurts them because they find these perfect coaches in perfect situations. And I think it speaks well to UC because then they put them in really good positions to succeed. And I think that you're seeing that right now with, you know, the fact that it's year two and this is a team that's contending for a conference championship. So getting to that with their game Saturday against UCF, the AAC obviously doesn't get this type of exposure on a national level very often. How do you think this matchup will play across the country? Do you think it'll be a highly anticipated one with people tuning in, or is it kind of like 
well, we don't think UCF's really that good, and they're playing Cincinnati, so it's just like another AAC game. Um, it'll be the spectrum, honestly. Look, it's a bad week for college football by standard terms, so I think that actually helps UCF and UC in this situation because they get to redirect some of that just kind of bored attention to their game. Um, look, the AAC has made a really positive habit out of taking people who underestimate them and then beating them into the ground. Um, I mean, UCF's not the only program that can do that. UC can do that. Houston can do that. Um, you know, in certain years, South Florida's done that. I think Temple, as they come on under Jeff Collins, that's another team to watch. This is a good football team, and I don't think you, you know, if you're a UC fan, just enjoy it. I hate it. Let me say this. I hate it for UC, and I really do, that this isn't a home game. Because I think that more people in the country should come and see what UC has to offer in terms of a game day experience. I think I've been to 50 or, I don't know, it's like 50 or 60 stadiums in my career. And I have a huge soft spot for the University of Cincinnati. I love Nippert. I love the way it's designed. I think that city schools by, you know, I, I'm, I'm an SEC person only because I went to a college in the SEC and I live in Nashville and I'm Southern. So in the, in the South, like SEC people, they always have a bias negatively to the Southern, to the city schools like Memphis and UC and Louisville. Um, I think people would be blown away by a game day at UC, especially a, a good night game. That place gets loud. That place when they do the blackouts, like, I, I, you know, you mentioned I, I was at a keg of nails game. I've seen them play Houston. I, I, I'm trying to think how many total games I've been to at UC, but it when it wants to be, UC can be intimidating as hell with a, with a relatively small crowd. Um, and I hate that UC doesn't get to show its home crowd off on, on a national stage. Do you think that they can pull the upset Saturday in Orlando? And if so, what are some things that probably need to go their way in order to do that? Wow. Um, I think that the good news is this, and what you get with Luke Fickle is someone who's seen, he has a very unique perspective um, for, for a young coach that would be climbing up the ranks and out of position like Cincinnati and that he has coached at Ohio state at, at every level possible. And he's been in big moments. Um, I think psychologically that benefits UC. They get to come in loose, right? Because they're not the team. UCF has manufactured a lot of this attention. So I think, you know, psychologically, UC gets to come in and play loose and play fast, get to take risks. They don't have to worry about the kind of stuff that, that UC does, or I'm sorry, that UCF does right now. Um, I don't want to lean into cliche here, but I do think that they need to be um, aggressive in creating turnovers, which is possible with UCF. I think they have to watch chunk plays in the passing game. And I think that, you know, I don't want to preach any kind of old schoolism at all, but I do think that they need to control maybe not control the clock, but I think they need to be dominant and sit on offense because what happens when you play UCF is that if one drive doesn't go your way early on, they, they have an ability to score on chunk plays very quickly, and then you suddenly change your offense to respond to that. You either turn the ball over or you're, or you're quickly three and out. Cincinnati can't afford to do that. They need to be consistent on offense and sort of stick with it, even if they go down by 10 or go down by 17. This is a team that's shown it's talented enough to rebound from that. It's funny you brought up UCF manufacturing atten- attention. I was listening <laughs> to podcasting, played play Nobody yesterday, and I don't want to misquote you, but I'm pretty sure you said UCF fans are annoying. 
And they, I'm yeah, to that, I'm, I started to get yeah, that same sense just by sending out a couple tweets the other day where all of a sudden my mentions were just flooded. And part of me thinks that most people watching the game are going to be hoping that they lose, which is great for us. You know, they'll be cheering for UC, but you know, the, the, the momentum that they built for themselves, it's, it's kind of gone from, Oh, that's nice. And they're beat Auburn and everything. And now it seems like it's just like, they want people saying stuff about them just so that they can then come back and attack them. Is that what you kind of gathered? Well, it's tough, and I don't ever want to cast aspersions on an entire fan base, because what is that? Like, what is a fan base? It's, it's too diffuse a concept to ascribe a single personality towards. Um, but I will say this. UCF has taken on a, a really weird life of its own because the, just the constant aggressive feeling of, oh, are we being slighted? Is so-and-so against us? Is so-and-so saying this or that? Um, that's, not, that's not healthy. Um, and yeah, honestly, as a sports writer, it is kind of annoying because um, if you listen to our show on SB Nation podcast, may play nobody, or if you read any of the stuff I've done, I am a huge stand for the G5. I love it. Um, I, I was the person who was out there writing aggressively about how Cincinnati and Houston, specifically, as well as the directional Florida schools, UCF and USF, had a ton to offer the Big 12. And it made a ton of sense for, for Cincinnati and those other three schools to join the Big 12. All four of them, I thought. Um, however, UCF now, I think, I think when you fuel yourself on spite and anger and, and uh, feeling slighted, it, it, it's a slippery slope because they're constantly manufacturing reasons to get mad at everybody. And you can't do that. You've got to just be able to accept what you are and try and move on from it. I mean, look, I, do I think it's a screw job that they're not ranked higher? Yes, but... Are the fans looking for every single possible thing they can to be mad? Yes, they are. And I've never really experienced that with, you know, Cincinnati when they were undefeated going into the Sugar Bowl or, you know, Houston when Tom Herman was there. There's an extra kind of like vitriol with UCF fans that I've never really seen before. We're now in year five of the college football playoff. What do you think they've gotten right and what do you think that in your perfect world, do you think that still needs to be changed or tweaked as we move forward? Uh, it's still largely trash. Um, I would say that what they got right is that it's no longer the BCS. So it's no longer a very, very bizarre, ever-evolving algorithm, you know, determining these two best teams to play in a game. I mean, you can thank Alabama and LSU for doing that in 2011. That's what broke it, honestly. Um, what is wrong is that it's still largely controlled by the bowl interest there's still a ton of arcane logic applied to that because you have these old school elements of college football with a massive amount of control. I think um, the best part about it is that it is a bracket and that is a step in the right direction. If you're a Cincinnati fan, and I say this with a bunch of love in my heart because I'm, I'm a person, I like the city of Cincinnati. I've met their fans. I think they're awesome. Um, you have no shot at the college football playoff. And, and what that, that, that's so demoralizing to say, but it's the truth. You know, I've talked with a lot of coaches, none of none of whom really want to go on the record aggressively about it because there's a lot of politics involved. But you know, when schools like UCF and Cincinnati and Boise and Houston and you know even this year, you look at schools like Fresno and Utah State, when they have absolutely no shot, it's not fair. It's just it, it doesn't represent what college football is about. Chad, do you have anything real quick? 
uh, just in terms of, of what this means for Luke Fickle. Uh, yeah. It, 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 he's come out of nowhere now. I mean, they were – they were four and eight last year. A lot of people gave him rope because, as you said, there was an understanding that the roster uh, was not good. Uh, he has taken a roster that's not good, and eighteen months after that practice at Elder, they're nine and one, and, and maybe should be ten and zero uh, going into yeah. Orlando for this game. His national profile has got to be skyrocketing, and UC fans are obviously worried. You know, is he going to leave us? Is he going to? be Brian Kelly and Mark D'Antonio and, and Butch Jones. Right. But do you see him as different? Do you see him as a guy that uh, he said in an interview today that they don't plan on uprooting their kids and that him and his wife have a long-term plan? Or, or is that just nearly impossible to get away from when, when big money starts you know, knocking at the door? I would say it's both, honestly. I would say it's, I would say it's column A and column B on, on that. I really do. Um in, just with Fickle specifically. And what I mean by that is, like, I've covered a lot of these situations. I don't think, I don't think Tom Herman wanted to leave Houston until, his, until that one dream job of his became available. I don't know if that really is Ohio State for Luke Fickle, given the, the history that they have. I do believe him, though, just the way – and really, honestly, I know Herman pretty well, and I know the situation that went down with UH and, and UT. I, I – I believe that his family is happy because, look, they're still in Ohio, right? They're still amongst family. Um, I, I think Cincinnati is a great community. It makes sense that he would stick it out and stick around. I do. And honestly, I think it is so insanely ahead of schedule for UC this year that if I'm being really myopic and mean about it, I would say that it actually benefits Fickle to stay around one more year to build up his coaching resume to then leave. So I think either way right now as a as a – as a Bearcats fan, I don't think that you should be too worried. Now, all that can change as, as these things go, um, but I think that he's a guy who, much like Tom Herman at Houston, and I, I bring that up as a comparison so frequently because the, the programs are very similar. I think they have a very, very high ceilings, and I think those two individual coaches are so uniquely suited for the situations at both of those schools that I think it's going to take whatever Luke Fickle's version of Texas to get him out of there, because I think he can kick a lot of ass in the, in the interim. And I think he's only going to look better for it every time. You know, I think it can be, we, we could easily be sitting here next year talking about a one loss or an undefeated uh, Cincinnati team. Uh, and so I, you know, none of us really know what's going on at Ohio state. That's the one I think everyone would be worried about, but I don't know, maybe if Mark D'Antonio were to retire, I think, you know, those two have a pretty good relationship. Would he be a candidate at Michigan State? Yes. Um, but I think in the short term, I grew up a fan of a program like this at Georgia Southern. Like, my parents went to Georgia Southern, and this is why I have a soft spot for these places. Other than the fact that, honestly, I really do just dig Cincinnati. I think it's a cool vibe. Like, you guys got to enjoy it while it's going on. If you invest too much in what will be, you'll drive yourself crazy and you won't enjoy what's going to happen. Because what I think could happen is that you have a team that can come out and scare UCF. Because, look, I, I mean, I think it's since, I mean, I'll ask you guys this. How would you view Cincinnati against Temple in terms of a week-in, week-out quality? You saw what Temple did against UCF. Pretty close. Um, I, I think – right. You know, ultimately, I, I felt like Cincinnati was the better team that day, but they did some really dumb crap that allowed Temple to hang around and, and eventually yeah. it bit him in the butt. But I, I don't think the two are that far off other than 
you know, Cincinnati plays in Nippert Stadium and Temple plays in front of 43 people in an NFL stadium. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, that favors Cincinnati. But ultimately, uh, what I see on the field, I didn't think they were that different. I mean, I, I think that, again, Cincinnati gets to go into Saturday night loose, aggressive. They don't have to play with, with any hesitation. Everything UCF does is if they put themselves in the situation with this resume bolstering in the way that, like, if you notice, we've talked about this on our podcast a lot, they are now on, on this PR campaign where they're talking about undefeated since X, and they're, and they're bringing in last season into it. Of course, we all know the committee makes a very, very vocal point to say we don't designate anything involving last season. So the fact that you beat Auburn does not matter to us at all, right? right. They're very aggressive about that. UCF is building 20-some-odd, 24 games-some-odd pressure on themselves to keep this streak going. Because you guys know this, and I know this, like the second a G5 loses a game, they fall completely. Everybody yeah. talks about Boise, and then when Boise drops the one game, that's it. You're done for the year. Boise then drops way down into more of a local phenomenon. Um, and so UCF comes in very, very tight on Saturday night, I think. Yeah, uh, one more before we let you go. This defense was one of the worst in the country last year. Uh, there were yeah. multiple games where Cincinnati was dead in the water by the end of the first quarter. And now we've been waiting, and I don't want to say this in a in a negative connotation, but we've been waiting for kind of one of those games where you go, ah, well, this defense is kind of coming back to earth a little bit. They have been mm-hmm. dominant all season long. How remarkable has it been to take this defense from what they were last year to this year, they're top 10 in almost every statistical category across the board. Man, I'm not going to lie. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> You're um, right. I agree. It, it really doesn't make sense in terms of what the, the available personnel should and shouldn't be doing. And it is a hell of a, of a bullet point in someone's resume. You know, it, it fickles Marcus Freeman. Like, it's, it's really impressive. Um, however, you're going to you, – you've got to play a more progressive – kind of larger picture game with an offense like UCF. You can very, you could easily have a good defensive night and give up 30 points. Right. I know it feels like arcane, but it's really about managing the drive and not managing the yardage. It's about managing, it's about managing the points per drive and the points per play and not yardage and not situation. So you're going to give up chunks. They're going to hit you guys on third down. It's going to be demoralizing. It's how you play inside the 20. And can you create turnovers? Because I think the offense has shown it, it can get punchy as well. And you have to be opportunistic and still maybe be in a situation, honestly, where UCF is rolling for 400, 500 yards. No doubt. Uh, are you taking UCF or do you think the Bearcats win? Um, you know, in games like this, I always kind of go to a push. Um, I never do gambling picks or anything like we don't do right. on, on PAPN, but, um, I, I would say this is as close to a push game as possible. Sentimentally, here's the only reason I don't like UC is because sentimentally I want them to win. Um, <laughs> so usually my logic gets in the way of, of, of good ideas. So, um, I think, look, right now UCF is the better team. Uh, they're the more established roster. I think Heupel, uh, this is one thing we haven't talked about, I think Heupel was a great hire because he, he went in and very selflessly assumed the mantle of, I'm inheriting a good situation. There's no reason to put my fingerprints all over it and change what doesn't need changing. So um, they're just ahead of UC at the time. But it doesn't mean, you know, it, it's not a referendum against them. I mean, I, I think in a year's time, you're going to be seeing UC kind of 
maybe not steal that mantle, but get to that point. So if they do lose, um, I, I, I think it's entirely possible that they, they don't lose in, in a demoralizing way at all. And also, if this is a two- or three-loss Cincinnati team, that's a hell of a year, man. Yeah. Uh, well, they got ECU next week, so at worst, this should be a two-loss Cincinnati team. Yeah. If you lose <laughs> ECU, you lose ECU, you got problems right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It was great. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I love Cincinnati. Thank you all. Thank you. That's Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey on Twitter, SB Nation. And uh, check out his podcast. Great stuff. And uh, he's a big Bearcat guy. So he's uh, if you're a UC fan, he's definitely one uh, that you want to follow. So thanks a lot, Stephen. We appreciate it, man. All right, Dave. That's uh, That was really good stuff from him. Uh, excellent yeah, insight. Yeah, glad he could join us. He's, he's been kind of one of those guys that, you know, has has done several pieces on UC, so it's not just you know someone you're getting in that doesn't really know the the landscape of the program and his podcast podcast ain't played nobody with him and Bill Conley, who does probably the best season preview articles out there. Does the S and P all the statistical stuff, new analytics stuff. Really good good podcast every week. So I was glad we were able to to get him and get his take on kind of where UC is and and where they are heading into this game. Yeah, let's uh let's before we do anything first uh in honor of what's going to happen this Saturday with the red helmets. Go to 513shirts.com, click on partners, go to Bearcat Journal, get you a red helm shirt. Um unfortunately, I wanted in in uh, I love my guy Mike at Five One Three Shirts. He's he's a huge UC fan. Runs the the Republic of Cincinnati tailgate. Uh, that's one reason you should give them your business uh, because he is as big a UC fan as you will find. Uh, he had scheduled uh, his life around kind of this a trip to this UCF game, but it included Disney World and a cruise. So I don't think you'll be able that's to get a lot. That's a lot, <laughs> and he's got a one year old. That like that's a that's a brave. It's a brave adventure right there to take on Disney World and a cruise with a one-year-old. Uh, but you probably won't get it for uh, for this week, but hopefully by next week. And I'm, I'm working on, we, we're going to try to get some uh, I'm Just Ballin' shirts out there as well, which was one of the great press conference quotes uh, that I've had in my time covering UC last weekend. Um, but 513shirts.com. Go to Bearcat Journal under Partners. We've got the Bearcat Journal gear. We've got some hats. We've got some uh, winter hats. We've got the Red Helms gear. Uh, you can get all that stuff at 513shirts.com. And uh, they're, they're very excited. I know the whole 513 Shirts crew is going to be uh, down in Orlando for the game. Um, and it sounds like, Dave, the more and more I hear, there's going to be I've been asked, I've done a couple things for uh, for Central Florida Florida folks, and they're like, is there going to be a big UC contingent? I'm like, oh, yeah. Everybody is yeah, planning on figuring like out it. a way to make their way down to Orlando for this game. Hello? Yeah, I mean, there? Yeah. yeah, sounds like a big crowd's headed down. Weather should be good. Obviously, 9-1 versus 9-0. Why not? Yeah. Uh, let's get let's knock out South Florida real quick, and then we'll get to all. Uh, we got a lot to get to on uh, on what this game means, and and we've got about thirty three minutes to do it all. South Florida uh, overall takeaways. I thought it was workmanlike. I thought they played pretty uh, 
meh in the first half. Some good moments, some bad moments, but I didn't think they were on top of their game. They kept it close. Uh, as we have seen pretty much throughout the entirety of the season, they went into halftime. They made the right adjustments. They came out. They dominated the third quarter. They took control of the game. And uh, it was very uh, almost a, a workmanlike performance taking down a USF team that, let's let's be honest about it, they were trying to manufacture as much emotion as they could. They came out without oh. shirts on in the pregame, yeah. and they tried to start a, a little ruckus in the, the the at midfield, you know, as the teams were warming up. And they were doing everything they could to, to manufacture some emotion. It worked for them for a little bit, but ultimately UC was the better team. That was my takeaway. They were. I mean, my I would say the first half, I mean, the one touchdown, I still don't even know how the guy saw the ball, let alone caught, caught it. it. Yeah, no idea. You know, and then the other touchdown was a product of a, of another long kickoff return. So, I mean, you know, you're going to give up chunk plays. That's understandable. But they really didn't do much moving the ball other than, other than that. Um, and this, like you said, with making the adjustments, the staff just, it seems every week, you know, they go into the locker room, they make one or two, three adjustments. They're probably not overloading the guys with, with too much, it's one thing on offense, one thing on defense, and and so far it's worked. I mean, their second half play this year in in crucial games, you know, the very end of Temple notwithstanding, has been pretty remarkable. You usually just don't see that on a week in week out basis in college football. Yeah, I, I would say one um, one thing that really has stood out to me in terms of the adjustments, uh, Ron Crook. I mean, there's been a couple times where early in games, this offensive line has, has had a tough time in pass protection. And, you know, defensive, defenses are doing something they didn't expect or, you know, maybe adding a few new wrinkles that, that they didn't see coming. And within three series, three or four drives, it seems like almost every time the offensive line has got it figured out. This is what they're trying to do. This is our adjustment. Bang, bang, bang. And next thing you know, you know, the, Mike Warren's busting long runs and, and Des Ritter's got time in the pocket. I think Ron Crook deserves a ton of appreciation. Hell, I don't think he got enough appreciation last year for patching that unit together and and, and doing what they did. And then this year, they've been really good uh, outside of those flu, few little blips I talked about. And they always seem to correct and find a way to get, to get right back on track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... They, you know, everything seemed to work pretty well in the second half. And I think that was just kind of one of those situations where USF kind of rode some big plays in the first half. But once UC, I wouldn't even say settled down, but more so just kind of did their thing and took control. They really, USF really outside of the one touchdown drive, really never got anything going in the second half. So it was right. more of a, you know, and especially that last, you know, eight eight plus minute clock killing drive where you know you're they're going to run the ball and they still couldn't stop them. Um, that kind of says everything about where UC is and where USF is right now. And uh, the reason I asked uh, Stephen about this is because I still can't get my head around it. This defense is unbelievable, and and like he said that that well, I mean, that goes out the window this week because UCF and especially Mackenzie Milton are a different animal. But 
they just choked the life out of you is what they've done to pretty much everybody so far. Yeah, and, you know, our two biggest concerns coming into the season defensively were pressure on the quarterback, obviously sacks, but just pressure in general. And I think for the most part, that's been, you know, a B, a high B, if you were to give a grade. You know, they've I think they've got 24 sacks, which is, uh, I think, Middle of the pack. last year, so yeah. almost, almost double that. So, yeah, they're like top 50, top 60 in sacks. And then they're, they've also had, you know, the pressures that were needed. And then the questions were the secondary just because of the total lack of experience. And, and and real playing time and both of those I mean I'm I don't think even the most cynical negative UC fan could could say that those two areas haven't just been so far above and beyond what we probably thought coming into the season. Yeah, I mean Marcus Freeman has done a hell of a job with that bunch and, and him and Luke the the changes they made and, and I'll add you mentioned the, the sacks I I think as the season has gone on we've seen Kamani Fitz and uh, Michael Pitts really come on um, the addition of Street, Steve Stripling and, and I asked Luke about this in the press conference uh, Tuesday the addition of Steve Stripling has been massive for that defensive line room and that's not to take anything away from Al Washington um, but you had a veteran tactician come in and take over a room with a bunch of older guys that were willing to buy in and learn. And I think as we've gone through that season, that has paid off tenfold because Broughton and Copeland have been maybe even more dominant than we even thought. And we thought they were going to be the strength of the defense. And then the guys on the edge have gotten increasingly and progressively better week by week. You, and you talk about his hire and the hire of uh, of Mick, Mike Mickens. They crushed it <laughs> on 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 replay on filling the void of of having coaches leave uh, in terms of what they brought in. Absolutely, and I think what the step the the, the progression this year that Copeland and Broughton have taken is, I think directly contributing to where we're seeing Fitz and yeah. uh, Pitts is, you know, there's just so much attention having to be paid to those two guys because for defensive tackles, they're both pretty good pass rushers. You usually don't, don't see that on the college level. Right. And, you know, they're one of those two is usually double teamed on every play. So, that means that the defensive end should have one-on-one matchups and they're winning those matchups or, or at least causing disruptions and then forcing a bad throw or forcing a quarterback up in the pocket. And, you know, it's just it's the exact way that it's supposed to work. And it's going to have to work this week because Mackenzie Milton is, is really, really good. Uh, before we get to UCF and round out this podcast – Make sure you are getting your coffee fix with Trace Pountas Coffee. They sell freshly roasted gourmet, shipped directly to you coffee. Their coffee beans are roasted order, your order, and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans they ship to you 
has the roast date printed clearly on it so you know your coffee is fresh. Freshly roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in the grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pountas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. You can find out about Trace Pountas coffee by going to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. They offer K-Cups as well as 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. What you do, you go to the website, www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. You sign up for a subscription, get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That's your choice. When you sign up, when you go to the checkout, you enter Bearcats as the promo code at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. That means you get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. Once again, remember to enter at checkout once you go to tracepountas.com slash coffee. Order your subscription. Get your Trace Pountas coffee today. If you've done the K-Cups, shoot me a message on uh, Twitter. Let me know. We, we get the bags. Uh, my wife had a fresh pot today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if you do the K-Cups, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, I know we've got a couple that are that are doing the uh, the weekly subscription uh, that tell me how uh, how satisfied they are with the coffee. And uh, like I said, my wife and my stepmom are uh, sharing. We get an order every two weeks. They're uh, sharing the orders, and, and both have been big fans. But I'm interested to see, since the K-Cups are new, what those are like. So go order those. Drink them. Let me know if they're good. Um, let's get to this, Dave. So Sunday hits, right? And we had a pretty good feeling that it was going to happen. Can never be sure when you're dealing with being in, you know, the G6, G5, whatever the hell it is. Um, you never you never know for G5. sure. G5. You never know for sure if this something like this is going to happen, if they're going to pull the trigger. But then when it came up that it was ABC at 8 o'clock, you had a pretty good feeling. And then shortly thereafter, you get Kirk Herbstreet announcing that uh, that they're coming. I, it blows my mind, man, <laughs> to think <laughs> where we were in August talking about this team and, and where we are now is one of the more remarkable things I've seen in Cincinnati sports history with with, where, with what Luke Fickle and his staff and his team have done. Oh, absolutely. I mean, going – to the whole game day eight o'clock thing. When you when you look at <clears throat> excuse me the schedule, this to me was kind of like a here you go UCF get off our back. We're yeah. fine. We're giving you game day. Chill the f out. Like because the only other option really was Notre Dame Syracuse at Yankee Stadium, and for reasons that a lot of people don't even think about. Having game day in Yankee Stadium doesn't work. And having game day around Yankee Stadium, how many people in New York City are really going to come right. out in the freezing cold to a game day set to talk about Notre Dame when people are talking about Notre Dame and Syracuse? Like, let's just be honest about and it. I, so, and, it, and I think it's, it's an NBC it's, game. 
it is. It's at 2.30 on NBC, so this would be the second time they would have held game day at a non-ESPN ABC location, which I'm sure they didn't really want to do. So, you know, if they didn't do it now, it just was never going to happen, which I'm right. glad they did. I mean, this is the first time I think that it's a true AAC matchup game. They had game day at Temple, but that was because Notre Dame was there and they were like number three in the country or whatever it was. Right. So it really had very little to do with Temple. Um, so I'm, I'm psyched for it. I mean, it's great. We're going to, you know, for all the talk they're going to do for UCF, they're going to probably give UC plenty of talk too. And, and they deserve it. They've had a great year. And, uh, you know, I hope nothing but the best for, for what goes on in that, in that three hours. So it's awesome. I mean, everybody should be psyched about it. When you look back, because I, I, I spent some time Sunday just kind of reflecting on everything. And the 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 puppet strings that that Luke has pulled, changing guys' positions, especially on defense, and and getting the most out of them, and then Jared Dukes goes down, and and it turns Mike Mike Warren has his star turn, and the way that that Desmond Ritter came on and and didn't didn't just like get the job, took the job. And and never look back. And, and yeah, there's been, you know, a quarter here or a half there where, you know, Hayden Moore's name has creeped back into the conversation. But the reality was, for the most part, this entire season, everybody has been all in on, we found our quarterback. And we found a star at running back that's having one of the most amazing seasons in UC history. And if he continues what he's doing, he's going to not only set the touchdown record, he's going to set the single-season rushing record and a defense that went from terrible to top 10. And all of these things coming together, Josiah DeGuara, who we had talked about for two years, this guy can really run routes and, and has great hands. He dropped a pass against USF that we all looked at each other and went, the hell was that? That guy doesn't drop a pass ever. Like – to see it all come together just blows my mind because it wasn't supposed to happen, Dave. Like this, no, we're not we're supposed to be here. Season preview podcast probably lose at UCLA. The Ohio game is a toss up. Um, I think I had them losing to SMU. Temple losing. What's that? Temple, which happened? Yeah, Temple. But, I mean, we were talking about needing to be 4-2 and two after the first six because the last six were tough, and there were a lot of toss-up games in there. And now they're 9-1. and one. And, you know, they're right now seven-and-a-half-point underdogs, which outside of them when they played at Memphis is by far the closest spread UCF has had all year. Um, so... You know, that's, you know, most people say you get three for being at home. So it's like a, it's, you know, it's a one-score game in most people's eyes. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild to think about that from where we were six months ago, even four months ago. And you have to give a lot of credit to, to Mike Bone and friend of this program, Brandon Sosna, who's now with the Cleveland Browns. 
um, the entire athletic department for realizing at some point throughout the process. And, and I don't think I, – I think it's disingenuous to say, you know, Luke was their number one guy because I think they would have loved to have had Jeff Brom. I think if Lincoln Riley would have answered their phone calls, they would have hired him in a second. Um, I, I think they had an affinity for Joe Moorhead, uh, the offensive coordinator at Penn State at the time. Um, but as the process played out, you know, Luke wanted the job, and they saw a lot of things that, that they liked in him getting the job. And next thing you know, here we are, 9-1, and one, game day, ABC primetime. It, it just, I don't know. I, I can't say it enough how much it blows my mind, how much. Not only, it, it, for me, though, it's not only just this season. Like, the entire tenor of the program changed in two months. All of a sudden, UC football is back. It, yeah. it's, it's not rebuilding, me. and it's not, you know, trying to pick itself up off the mat, and it's not the third youngest. When's the last time somebody mentioned the third youngest team in the country? They're just good. Second half against UCLA. Yeah, they're just good. Like, you don't have to talk. You know when you talk about them being the third youngest team in the country? When they're not any good. When you're getting your do- Yeah, when you're getting your doors blown off and you use it as a reason why you're not quite there yet. Yeah. Nobody talks about that anymore. And it's still true. It's so- funny you listed those, those other coaching names because when you look back on it now, they pretty much had that search pegged. I mean, yeah, those, Even, those, then, four, those four guys, you know, Lincoln Riley, obviously everyone knows what he's doing in Oklahoma. wouldn't exactly be a shock if he, you know, some NFL team tried to get him this offseason. Um, you know, Brom, you know what he's doing, digging Purdue out, hammering Ohio State, you know, probably going to go to Louisville. And then Joe Moorhead's had a, you know, pro- people probably know the least about him, but I mean he's had a very good year, especially defensively at Mississippi State, and he's, you know, killing it in recruiting, which totally kills the notion that you need someone from the South to win in the South because yeah. he's clearly not anywhere from the South, but he, hired, you know, put together the right staff, and and that's almost more important than, you know, the the location or the personality of the head coach is, is who he builds around him. There was there was one other name, and he's had his team ranked in the top 25 this year as well from the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. I'll let you figure that who that yeah. is on your own. But, I mean, they had, you know, basically five names on their list, and they, they got the right guy for the job, I think. But, boy, that list they put together oh, was a sure. hell of a list. <laughs> Yeah, and and they worked through that list and they got their guy and and you couldn't have gone wrong with any of the guys that were on that list and I I, yeah, I think you just have to to do do a little hat tip to Mike Bone and what his staff have done for for making this happen for UC football and for understanding the importance of we need to get this thing right and get this thing back on track and here we are um, as far as the game I'm worried about Mackenzie Milton man. Well, I mean, the way their offense runs is, as um, some people might know, some people might not, it's actually faster play-wise and pace-wise than, they were than last Scott year, yeah. Frost was there 
they do less motion. They do less movement. They just kind of get up to the line and go. And they just try to outpace you to death. So the thing for UC defensively, they're going to, I mean, they're going to give up chunk plays. They're going to give up probably multiple drives where you're just like, my God, you know, I think they are top five in the nation in drives under one minute, touchdown drives under one minute. Um, How are they not number one? From what I've seen of them, it's like four drives a game are under a minute. I don't know, but, you know, it's the between the 20 stuff. If they can, if they can, yards don't matter because if they can just let them get yards, but on a couple of those drives, force field goals or, you know, get a turnover, which is something that kind of concerns me because they, you know, that's the one thing defensively that they haven't really done a, a great job at. They, you know, have They've been okay. been any turnovers against. Yeah, I mean, they have two turnovers in the last three games. Right. So they're going to have to get a couple, I would think, to get a win. I mean, UCF has a ridiculous streak of 28 straight games getting a turnover. So, you know, that's a streak that will probably need to be broken for UC to get the win. They're going to have to force some turnovers. They're going to have to play almost like a Navy game in the sense of just very, very clean. No crazy special teams returned. No, the ball's not slipping out of Des Ritter's hand. You know, it's just going to have to be one of those. I'm not going to say perfect, but just you, you can't you can't have holding penalties on second and eight. You know, just stuff stuff like that because they're going to score. I mean, they score on everybody. They scored on Auburn last year. They they scored on everybody they play this year, and they're going to score on UC. But it's how they do it, and when we get the ball can we put together drives to end in touchdowns regardless of how long they take? I know people right. want to try to, like, just give the ball to Mike Warren and kill the clock. That doesn't matter. The most important thing is scoring touchdowns. They're 90th in the nation defensively. So there are yards to be had, but it's cashing those yards in for touchdowns. And one thing that they've been very good at is second-half defense. Um, I mean, Temple really put the screws to him in the first half. And then basically did nothing in the second half. Memphis, uh, Memphis, Memphis, I think, scored three points in the second half. You can't do that against UCF. They're not going to just go a whole game bat, having bad offense. They won, right. I think, that game 33-31, and that was a bad offensive game for them. But Daryl Henderson ran for almost 200 yards against them. Raquel Armstead for Temple ran for – a close to a buck 50 against them. So with Warren and Ritter, it can be done. Those drives just have to end in touchdowns. Yeah. I, I'm so torn here, Dave, because I, I want to predict that UC controls the clock and keeps Mackenzie Milton off the field and, and finds a way to win this game. But every time I watch them, the biggest thing for me with Mackenzie Milton, and I agree, it's what you talked about, that there's not the motion and there's not, you know, the all the other stuff you saw from Scott Frost. The reason I think that works is because almost every time I see Mackenzie Milton throw a pass, it hits a guy in stride in the hands where there's nothing a defender can do about it. The, the guy just throws dimes all over the place. 
and that's why they're able to score the way that they score. Um, it reminds yeah, I mean, me they, they don't give up. They don't give up a lot of sacks. They're just right. He, has he gets full, the ball out quick. Control. Yeah. He has full control of that offense. It's you know, it's just it's one of those things. That's why you know they're going to have moments where they just look unstoppable. But you just have to hope that they don't hit big plays for touchdowns, and you can slow them down when they get inside the thirty. I'm so torn on this, man. I'm so torn on this prediction. <laughs> I am I'm because not. I, you're not. You're going. You're going UCF. No. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, if I said UC was going to win, that would just basically just be saying it from the fan perspective. Um, I'm not saying they're going to get blown out. I'm not saying they're going to you know, lose by a field goal. It's just, it's just hard for me to to see them stopping their offense enough times and UC's offense scoring in the 30s or 40s, which is what they're going to need to do to win, unless something crazy happens. I mean, obviously that's a caveat that we have no idea about. But, you know, I just it's it's real tough for me to look at how these teams are playing, how these teams are built, the moment and everything wrapped around it and think that, you know, they're going to go in and win. What makes me more nervous than anything was the games at Temple and SMU and that they weren't clean. And you should have beat Temple and you did beat SMU, but if you play as unclean as they did in those two games against UCF, you're not going to win. You know what I mean? Well, you – if if they play like they played in those games and they they have a first half like they had last week, they'll lose by twenty. Yeah. Like this is a different animal. Like you, yeah, you can't. I mean, they played Temple and scored seventeen points. You're going to lose by thirty if you play that. If you play that game, right? And against UCF on the road. That's why I said you got you got to play a navy type game. It's got to be almost perfect. Yeah, and I just I I, I want. They're just think, not built to go go shot for shot with the right. team right I, now. But, but see, I don't think anybody expects that. I think if if they're no, somehow that's to I'm, win that's this why game, I'm saying, go ahead. We're just gonna have to get a, a defensive effort that we haven't like a, we've seen defensive efforts, but not against these this type of an offense. Yeah. Ugh. I'm struggling. I mean, it's one thing to shut Navy down running, which is awesome, because, I mean, they ran for almost 400 yards against UCF. But, you know, UCF ran for almost 300 and threw for almost 300 against Navy. So, right. in way less possessions because of the way Navy plays. You got to score. Yeah, I think I'm going to go like 44 28, 44 31, something like that. I'm going to go 41 34 UCF. And I don't like it. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't like it either. But I mean, if we just came on here every week and blew smoke, you know, I guess we could do that. We're a UC fan site, but. I don't. That's not. This is not how I operate. That's not how I operate either. I, I I can see a path to Cincinnati winning this game. 
I can too. But I see that path at about 35% versus yeah. you know, 65, 70% that I see it as a UCF path to win. The question for me is, does UCF come out maybe overhyped? Oh, I don't – I think for – I think the beginning of the game is the opportunity to to take a bit of an advantage there because, yes, they are going to be so jacked that this would be a game where I almost – like, I know UC is defense-oriented, and I think probably every time they've won the toss, they've probably deferred. I would almost take the ball first. Because I would have confidence in my offense against their weak spot is defense. So let's go against defense first. We go down and score. How many times have they been down this year? UC goes down and scores. Say they make it look easy. There's doubt. Man, these guys are good. They just went right down the field and scored on us. We right. got to go score. This might, this might be a touchdown for touchdown game. You kick off and they go right down the field and score and it's it's ape shit. It's seven nothing UCF. Everybody's going crazy and you don't you don't answer that and it's fourteen nothing. Game over. Yeah. You're right. I wish I felt better about it. I really do. I really do. I, I just feel like they've kind of been in this situation a little bit more than this UC team. I, I, the one thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I was on a podcast with uh, one of the sites for UCF, and Luke Fickle talked about handling it as, as he talked to his team about game day, being there, and mm-hmm. the hype and the, you know, he addressed it with the team where Josh Heupel yeah. has, has played the uh, – we're treating it as a regular just game, a, one game at a time. Just another game, just game. Another game, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, Josh. It's not just another right. game. Right. I, I think Luke's way of handling that is the way you almost have to handle it because if you handle it any other way, I think you're telling your 18 and 19 year olds you think they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like they, they don't have social media, they don't know that. Kirk Herbstreet announced that game day was coming. Like, right. Jo- just another game for UCF was last week against Navy when there were a few thousand empty seats in the end zone. Like, a, a noon kickoff and no, yeah, I mean, it's fun, but this is a little different, man. Like, you gotta, you know, you, you prepare people for things that they're not familiar with. UC is not familiar with this type of environment. So, you prepare them. You don't give them so much information or, or freak them out, you know, but you prepare them. You tell them this is what it's going to be like. It's 8 o'clock, national TV. The game's going to start a little late because of the intros that are happening and all, you know. Saying it's just another game is, you know, that's doing the kids a disservice, I feel. It's disingenuous. It, like, it, 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 it's not being honest with your kids. You know what? Screw it, Dave. That last that last part made me change my mind. 36-35 Bearcats. Luke Fickle pulls a Dana Holgerson as they score the uh the potential game tying touchdown with under a minute left. And he looks at Mike Warren and he says, You want to win the game? And Mike Warren says, I'm just balling. 
And Luke, Wickle, Luke Fickle says, let's go win the game. They go for two. They get it. The Bearcats win. 36-35 Bearcats. I changed my mind. I love it. <laughs> what, was the, what was the last game you changed your mind for? Uh, I think it was... Uh, Temple? No, I didn't change my mind on Temple. I thought they would beat Temple. I didn't change my mind on Temple. I think it was USF. No. No, it was... USF. Or you, uh, SMU. Fire. SMU. Because I was worried yeah. about how they played on the road and, and and going on the road twice in a row. I think it was SMU that I changed my mind. I was worried about that one. It might have been Temple. If it is Temple, then I can't change my damn mind. I got to pick you. Ah, now you got me in a pretzel. Thirty-six, thirty-five well, Bearcats. Mike Warren. Mike Warren runs it in for two to win the game. I hope so. Doesn't really matter what we pick anyway. No, it so. doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. I just, I, I do like that Luke addresses it with the team. I do like that he talks about it. I do like that he, he, and especially from the standpoint of he's been there. They haven't. Like he's got a boatload of that experience that at Ohio State. I don't see the downside to just telling them this is a little bit different than playing in front of 5,000 people at SMU. Right. Or even playing at a home game for UC. Like, this will be very similar to playing at Nipper, but it'll still be different. Yeah. Like, it'll still be different. So I don't understand the the downside to – to just talking well, about like, it. You talk like, about it. Like it's a big secret. Like it's a big secret right. or something. Well, here's the thing. Like you talk about it when he's, when he, when we did this on Tuesday, when he talked about it at the thing at the media luncheon, he said, we talked about it on Sunday and Monday. And then when we come out on Tuesday for practice, then it's, it's a practice week. Like we've addressed right. it. Well, like Tuesday, there's, there's two guys hauling carts and crates and like, 5,000 pounds of, of cameras and, and gear that's all, they're all there from game day and they're getting the pregame show ready and, and filming things and doing interviews and that whole nine yards and talking to players, talking to coaches. That's different. That doesn't happen yeah. when you're on CBS sports network at three thirty or at noon playing whoever like, the whole thing is different. You got to get your kids ready for that. I think Luke got him ready for that. I don't think Josh Heupel got his kids ready for that. So, damn it, Dave, I'm picking the Bearcats. Go Bearcats. I convinced myself. That's going to wrap it up. <laughs> Special thanks. Big thanks to Stephen Gottfried from SB Nation. I think that's one of the better interviews we've had this season. Uh, some great perspective on the G- G5, on where the Bearcats are at, on Luke Fickle on you know this game on saturday and i think you and i did a pretty good job this week too more you than me i'm trying man more you than me i think that i didn't didn't do anything special no i think you did a good job can i not can i not (laughs) tell you you, can i not tell you you did a good job and you should just say thanks of course i did all right i think we're gonna do a uh little basketball podcast tomorrow me berg and uh, a special guest that made his debut on 
700 WLW this week. Oh, nice. I, I tuned in to, to catch a little bit of that last night. How do you do? How do you think you did? I did pretty good. Good. I mean, it's hard. Oh, um, no doubt. I think he laid out when he needed to, and he jumped in with some good comments when he was supposed to. So look for that, and uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Again, thanks to Stephen Godfrey. Thanks to Dave. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. Enjoy. Everybody going to Orlando, enjoy. If you're not going to Orlando, we'll see you at Tass Brewporium. It's going to be a hell of a time. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.